defeated. Well, we've sung that, and we're going to pray for that too, the illumination on God's Word today. Let's ask for that. Heavenly Father, we do pray that your Spirit, who inspired your Word, may enlighten our hearts so that we might receive your Word well. It might be read, Lord, to your glory, that it may be ministered, preached to that very same end, that it wouldn't be uh, the person preaching, but the one who is being preached that is at the forefront and whoever's preaching, Lord, in the background. And may we find ourselves receiving your word in that very same way, dear Father. So may you accept our prayers for the sake of Jesus. Amen. We're going to be reading nine verses out of 1 Samuel 21. We continue to look in, at 1 Samuel and the uh, exploits of David. God had used, used David in his plans, ultimately, to bring Christ into the world and to bring about a lasting kingdom that was promised to David long ago. 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 9, we read. You recall in times past that Jonathan warned David about Saul's anger, and so David had to flee and He's come to Nob now and encounters Ahimelech there, the priest. So we'll read from 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 9. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let's no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I've made an appointment with the young man for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves, loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there's holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us, as always, when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread. For there was no bread there, but the bread of the presence, which he removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Dueg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, Behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you'll take that, take it. For there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. And that's as far as we're going to read from God's word this morning. May it indeed be a blessing for us. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
I wonder if our boys and girls know what it's like to have special treatment. I bet you do. You know, uh, on your birthday, for instance, you might have a chance to choose what you're going to have for supper. Maybe that's not something you do at your house, but maybe it is. Or your mom and dad ask you, well, what kind of cake would you like? You've got this certain cake you like? Okay. Maybe they find out what it is that you might like to have for a present that you otherwise wouldn't get. You don't wrap unwrap presents every single day. That's something quite special. In fact, if you did it every day, it wouldn't be special anymore. But these are the kinds of things that you don't do every day, and, and, and David is involved in something like that too. You see that in our passage, don't you? There's something special going on here, and he gets special treatment. It's not ordinary. And he gets to eat a certain kind of bread that most people don't get to eat, and he gets uh, to use a special sword that is like no other sword. Do you wonder why he gets treated like that? Is there something special about him? Or has God just decided to make him special? Well, God has made him and he's treated him specially by his grace. And he does that for us too when we're Christians. When we're in Jesus, he treats us in a special way. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning in sermon, about how God does that. So we see David being a very, in a very special situation. It'll remind us of how special God is, how special Jesus is, and how special it is that God treats us in Jesus, which is very important. So we're going to be looking at, uh, beloved, three different special, extraordinary points. Well, the points maybe aren't so extraordinary, but they're dealing with extraordinary issues. You're looking at a special mission, you're looking at special food, and you're looking at a special sword. Or you could say uh, an extraordinary situation, you're looking at extraordinary bread, and you're looking at an extraordinary sword. You can see that in the passage, can't you? We're going to look at all three of those ideas this morning. First of all, the extraordinary situation, uh, the extraordinary mission that of which David speaks. So we, we see David's uniqueness in all of this in terms, first of all, how he presents himself to Ahimelech. The way that David speaks to Ahimelech, you would come away thinking, wow, this is, this is no ordinary mission on which David is finding himself. As Ahimelech comes to meet David trembling and asking him, why are you alone and nobody's with you? This is unusual. The whole situation is unusual. And we see that happening through that whole dialogue between David and Ahimelech. 
This is no ordinary mission that he's taking. There's no ordinary situation that he's in right now. He doesn't have time to take provision. It's so unusual. He doesn't have time to equip himself with a sword. He tells Ahimelech this is a secret mission that he's going on. He reassures Ahimelech that the mission is not common. It's holy. It's a mission, therefore, that needed consecration in order to guarantee success in the kingdom of the Lord, because this is God's kingdom after all. But even if it was not a holy mission, his men, he said, who he's going to meet up with at a point at some point, they've been consecrated. They're always consecrated. They're con consecrated for holy mission or for regular missions. Why wouldn't he be so for this special one? There's something extraordinary going on here. So you come away reading this story that the that the mission that David's on is exceptional. He's got special work to do for the kingdom. He emphasizes that, and he's telling a big fat lie. He's not on a special mission. He's running away from Saul. But why is he telling the lie? Why is he why is he deceiving? Is it because he's trying to protect the priest? Does he not trust the priest since we know that that he was still loyal to Saul? Uh, we find that out later as he talks to Saul. But one thing's for sure, one thing we know is that his lying is going to catch up with him because whatever the reason for his deception, its results are disastrous. Because Ahimelech, as David realizes later, as he gets killed, we'll see that. David realizes later, and we'll see that more later, that he has to take responsibility for what happened. And it reminds us again that lying catches up with us, doesn't it? Sooner or later, it catches up with us. But as far as Ahimelech's concerned, David's story is legitimate. In fact, it calms his fears as to why David would be coming all alone. Because that was extraordinary. Anything but ordinary. And, and extraordinary times, for him like reasons, then call for extraordinary methods. Ahimelech gives David the bread of the presence, the show bread, as it's been called. That was supposed to go only to the priests. <coughs> but he knew that David's situation, at least that's what he surmises here, is a, a very extraordinary situation. Now, later, Jesus exonerates Ahimelech in gospel passages like Matthew 2.25 and Matthew 12.3 and Luke 6.4. It gets mentioned in all three of those gospels uh, for using extraordinary methods in extraordinary times. The spirit of the law, preserving life, filling the need of the neighbor, looking out for the neighbor, taking takes priority, particularly for the sake of the kingdom of God. Ahimelech saw that David had a special need for a special mission for the kingdom. And the last thing that Ahimelech wants to do then is stand in the way of that mission. So he did what he could in order to fill the need. Now, this is not a justification here. You don't come away from this and say, well, it just goes to show that the end justifies the means. It doesn't matter what we do. If it's for a noble cause, 
then it's always right. That's not the application. It's not that every action under the sun can be justified. It isn't that the end justifies the means. The fact of the matter is that giving the showbread to David harmonized with what that showbread was supposed to represent. And what it represented to the people was the provision of the Lord. The law is never meant to get in the way of its own definition. To show love to God and to neighbor. Such would have happened if David would have been refused the only bread that was available. That would have gotten in the way of the plans of the kingdom. That would have gotten in the way of what the law was seeking to accomplish. Such would have been a denial of the means the Lord had provided. Now it's true that David lies. Unquestionably. And this episode, in part, as we look at it, as we zoom back out and see the, the broader biblical picture, this episode, in part, certainly shows the difference between David and Jesus. The difference between David and Christ. Because Isaiah 53 says that Jesus committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. That is not true about David. David is not the Christ. Now it certainly shows what happens when, when people take lightly the, the consequences of falsehood, but, but whether David would have lied or not, we know for sure that one way or another, he was in an extraordinary situation. He was to be the king of Israel, and that was good. But right now, he's on the run for his life. Which, if you were on the run for your life, or I was on the run for my life, I think that was bad. And it was bad. Now, the fact that he's in an extraordinary situation that has caused him to come to Ahimelech, that has moved him to lie... That whole extraordinary situation aligns with the idea that David is getting undeniably special treatment from the Lord. It involves experiencing the good and the bad. And no doubt from where David is standing, <laughs> this is part of the bad that he's had to face. And yet it is part and parcel of the Lord's plan for his anointed, which Jesus the son of David understood like no other. Because though Jesus too had to go through the bad to get to the good, and that's what David's doing here. Even though Jesus too had to go through the bad to get to the good according to his father's plan, he's different than David here. Because David deceives, but there's no deceit that ever came out from Christ's mouth as the Lord's anointed. You don't want to come away with this and say, be like David in that way, because that wasn't legit, and the consequences come later. But what you can see here is that we needed a better king of Israel to come. 
who would never use deceit. And no deceit ever came out of the mouth of Christ. And if David's talking about being perfectly consecrated or, or, or has been that way, it's really Jesus who's the one who's like that. He's the one that was perfectly, perfectly consecrated. Uh, consecrated. He was the one that was true to his calling for our sake, despite his extraordinary and unique circumstance. David has one. He shows himself to be deceitful. Christ ends up having one later. He shows himself to be completely pure and without deceit. And so, so that's that's what one of the things that we should see here is that is that don't give David a pass for being a liar. As if the end justified the means. But but you can see, as you back up here, you can see that, and we're going to see that more here as we talk about the showbread. Uh, it does remind us David's not the one that we should be uh, ultimately uh, desiring or find him as our ultimate example. We need to be finding Jesus Christ as that one. He's the one on whom we can always depend. He's the one that's pure in his attitudes and his actions and his words. No deceit ever comes out of his mouth. Uh, David's calling is, is, is special. It's, it's also reflected in the giving of the show bread because that's no ordinary bread. It's interesting that the priest had nothing else to give to David except the show bread. That's all there was. That's all there was. The show bread must have been the only bread there was for Ahimelech. There, there wasn't anything else to eat. Now perhaps that shows even further how far Ahimelech was willing to go in order to express love to David and love for the kingdom. And that's inspirational for God's people today because we're, to, we're supposed to devote ourselves to the Christ who showed no deceit and go to the ultimate extent to devote ourselves to him. But the bread of the presence of the showbread was placed in, that, in the holy place of the tabernacle, fresh every Sabbath day. And they had 12 loaves there. Now David asked for five, but there was 12 loaves there. And the bread was supposed to be replaced, and then it was given to Aaron and his sons to eat, and his descendants. So the 12 loaves no doubt represented all of God's people, and the priests ate the bread as representatives of God's people. And so what the bread symbolized was God's provision to his people. It was supposed to be only for the priests. Jesus makes that clear too in his gospel passages. But this is an extraordinary time because David is extraordinary. Now, not in himself. No, David's a liar. He's a liar. David deceives. Later, David's a braggart, and he's an adulterer, and he's a murderer. He takes responsibility for the death of Ahimelech in his household later. No, David talks about being clean, but David is not clean. But God provides for him. God provides for David, not because of David. He provides for David despite himself. Not because of himself. God provides in this extraordinary way for David because he wants to use David, you see, 
in a very extraordinary way. And thankfully, later on in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where David is promised by God that there will be a kingdom that will last forever, thankfully later in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, in verse 18, David gets it. David humbly recognizes the mystery of God's special handling of him. Because as he hears from God that he's going to have this kingdom that lasts forever, David says after that, David, King David, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house? that you have brought me thus far. And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You've spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. But he just says, who am I? That you're treating me like this. Yeah. David is the eighth in line in his family. He, he's a shepherd. He's from Bethlehem. And he lies. But God provides for David anyway. God sustains him. And David gets a special taste of the goodness of the Lord. And why? Why, why is he treated like a priest? He's like a royal priest, really, because he's going to be king, and now he's being treated like a priest, despite himself. Why? Well, it, it's certainly God's grace being made known to David, but it is also the fact that, you see, God has greater plans for David. He's not going to let David die. He's got plans for David, and David can't even imagine at this point what those plans are. And despite David's actions, it'll still be through David that a kingdom is going to be established that is never going to end. And it's going to be through David that Jesus is going to come. And so God, you can look at this, again, you zoom out again, you say, why is God doing this? Well, God is providing for David for Jesus' sake. Now, can you relate to that? That God provides for you for Jesus' sake. That's what he did to David. Whatever plans David might have had, whatever plans that Saul might have had, God's going to see to it that his plans in Christ, for Christ, with Christ, are going to be realized. They're going to triumph because God made a promise to provide for his people. And the best way that he can do that is to bring the bread from heaven to earth for them despite their sin. And that's the powerful grace of God who provides. God provides for the sake of Christ. That would make a good profession for a Christian, wouldn't it? God provides for me for the sake of Christ. That's what he did for David. That's what he does for Christians today. If you're a Christian, 
That's what you can say. God provides to see to it that His plans triumph. God provides so that His kingdom will come. We have to admit, don't we, that, that God provides for us not because of you, not because of me, despite us. He provides through means as well. He can provide for us because he, we do what, what He asks us to do, but but when it comes to the riches of his fellowship and the benefits of his, uh, of his promises and the days that we live and the status that we can know, he provides despite us, not because of us. We have no reason to brag. We have no reason to be proud. We have every reason to worship. But we don't have problem. We, we don't have any right to put on airs. We learn that from this text and then in life, don't we? Because who are we to eat at the Lord's table? That's what David did. Who are we to be known as a royal priesthood? That's what the church is. Who are we that we might, be, might know his provision for the sake of the Christ whom we serve and so that his plans might be fulfilled in our life. Who are we? Despite the sins of his people, God nevertheless establishes a kingdom in the person of Jesus Christ, the son of David. A kingdom that will never fade. A kingdom that will blossom into a resurrection fullness that is the hope of every believer in the Lord today. A hope firm and sure because God has bigger plans. Bigger plans for his people and those bigger plans will triumph as our passage reminds us. God will provide. Taste and see it. The Lord is good. That, that truth is supposed to move us not less and less, but more and more to humility and peace and satisfaction in our lives. And the praise of God. One last thing, and that is the uniqueness of David is also made clear by the extraordinary sword of Goliath. You see that in our passage, Jonah. It says, David says, give it to me. There isn't any sword like that one. There's no other, there's no other food like the showbread. David's in a very extraordinary situation, he says, and there's no other sword. Now perhaps that should not be surprising that there's no other sword like that because the Philistines had the edge of technology in that day. Israelites were lacking in weaponry. But it's not only the fact that there's no other sword around, but like it with the showbread, there was, there was something unique about this sword. David says it. There's no other sword like it. Give it to me. Now this sword has been kept in the sanctuary of the Lord. It was wrapped in a cloth and it was next to the ephod, which was used to determine the Lord's will in matters that, which was worn by the priest. Now in any case, the fact that this sword had found its way into the Lord's sanctuary was a sign that this trophy of war was viewed as a symbol of the Lord's victory over the enemy. That statement, there's no other like it, is echoed through the book of Samuel. You read through the book of Samuel and you want to look for things that say there's nothing like it, you'll find it a lot of times. 
We hear Samuel first say it of Saul that there was no one like him in all of Israel. Chapter 10, verse 24. Chapter 9, verse 2. Saul's described as a head taller than anyone else in Israel and that there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. No one like him. Now we hear it of Goliath's sword. And then in 2 Samuel 22, we hear David in holy wonder contemplating the Lord's choosing of him to be king of a king that will, uh, whose heir to the throne will reign forever. And he says, you are great, O Lord God. There is none like you. Nor is there any God besides you. According to all that we have heard with our ears, who is like the Lord? There is none like him. There is none like this sword. The fact that he receives this unique sword, which symbolizes the unique power and victory and grace and person of the Lord, pointed to the unique way that the Lord was going to equip David for the victory that would be won through David over the enemies of the Lord and the enemies of the house of David. The Lord provides the strength. He provides the victory. He provides the equipment through David. That unique sword for David reminds us of the uniqueness of God, you say. It, it reminds us of the uniqueness of Christ. There is no other God. You shall have no other gods before me. Because there aren't any. And that's why the word would say it so often. Who is like the Lord our God? Who has known the mind of the Lord? I am God and there is no other. No other Savior. I know not one. Salvation is found in nobody else because there's no other name under heaven by which we shall be saved. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. Who else can equip us to know the victory of the Lord in our lives but by His Spirit? How else do we make that profession? Because we're so smart? Because we're from the right bloodline? No. It's, it's by God alone. In Christ alone. By the Spirit alone. Through the Word alone. How else do we keep up our hope? How else do we press forward to the goals that the Lord has for us? How else do we run the race? How else are we enlightened? Not because of us. Despite us. Goliath's sword might not be like any other, but then the victory we have in the Lord is like no other. There isn't anything like it. Because by him and to him and through him are all things. That's the message we, we proclaim. That's the message to which we're to submit. That's the comfort that we are to claim. That is the reason why we pray for the Spirit's blessing in our lives. That's how we're to live. Because we know that being equipped by God in the battle of faith is the only way we can win. The only way. And that's why we come to worship this unique God that we do in the first place. This is no ordinary situation. This is no ordinary bread. This is no ordinary sword. But then the treatment that David received was anything but ordinary. And it should remind us that there are times, that there come times in our life where we must use extraordinary methods at extraordinary times so that the Spirit of the Lord might be maintained. And it shows us that where David was deceitful, 
He was unlike the Lord Jesus Christ, who never knew deceit, but was perfectly clean for our sake. And it reminds us that God's plans and provisions for us in Christ triumph, not because of us, despite us. And it reminds us that the victory that we have in Christ is like no other as he equips his people for the battle of faith. David might be special. You look at David and say, boy, he was a very special person. But so are you. Yeah, so are you. When by grace and through faith you're found in Christ, when you when you dwell that in that, you are special. You're treated specially. That wondrous grace of God, that, that's what's truly extraordinary. And, and we must not ever lose sight of that in our life. May we never lose sight of that in our life. May we value it with humility and, and, and peace of heart always. It's why we worship only God in Christ. It's why we trust only Him. And in the end, it's why we live only for Him. Because He treats us specially. In Christ our Lord. Who is like no other. Isn't that good news? Amen. Heavenly Father, it's good to be able to take a few moments to look at these extraordinary situations to remind us not only that about David and how you treated him specially, but, but how you treat us specially because of that special person that Jesus Christ was. We thank you, Father, that you've called us to, to find in you the one who provides for us, and, and not because we are so grand, not because we are so great, but you provide for us spiritually and physically in ways despite us. But you do it for the sake of Jesus. And may we find ourselves, Lord, then seeking to devote ourselves to Christ because we can make the confession ourselves that when we're in Christ, when we've, we've made the good confession... That God provides for us for the sake of Jesus. And he does it in a very special way. And we can know the victory uh, that can only be known. And we can be winners and not losers when we find ourselves in that special person that Jesus Christ is. May we not lose sight of that in the walk that you called us to walk. Because your grace is amazing. It's a sweet sound that saves a wretch like us. We pray that you'd hear us as we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.